Welcome to the Second Reading Podcast from the University of Texas at Austin. The Republicans were in the Democratic Party because there was only one party. So I tell people on a regular basis, there is still a land of opportunity in America. It's called Texas. The problem is these departures from the Constitution, they have become the norm. At what point must a female senator raise her hand or her voice to be recognized over the male colleagues in the room? And hey there, Jim Henson here again. Welcome back to the Second Reading Podcast for, it's not technically the week of July 4th, but it's the week of July It's 4th. July 4th week. And this will be the final podcast for the first summer session, so congratulations to those of you winding down on the course, and uh, good luck getting ready for the final. I'm happy to be joined again this week by my colleague. That didn't sound like, that actually didn't sound like I meant it, did it? Well, no, really. Good luck getting ready for the final. Oh, I, okay. I, thought you well. you meant I thought you meant the part where you're saying you're happy to be joined again by me. <laughs> well, didn't sound true. And maybe I said, the well. insincerity is just bleeding through. I don't know. No, but really, I mean, I, I meant both of those <laughs> things. So, Josh and I, are you still ready for the 4th of July? I didn't realize we were going to be recording again before like, the 4th of July. We played up the 4th of July last week. And... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm probably more ready than I, I was say, last week. And are you even more eager? Um... Have you bought the food you're going to grill? Yes. Okay. Yeah, no, food, beer's in the fridge, food is ready to be grilled. I'm, yeah, I get, yeah, I'm, right. I'm excited. And we're, we're not necessarily endorsing either alcohol or meat for that matter. Well, maybe a little. Well, I am. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. We want to focus today on a decision handed down last week by the Texas Supreme Court that reversed a lower court ruling that said spouses of gay and lesbian public employees are entitled to government subsidized same-sex marriage benefits. And the Supreme, the state Supreme Court on Friday unanimously ordered the, the case kind of kicked out an earlier reading and uh, an earlier ruling that had not seen this as legit and ordered a trial court to reconsider the case. And by not seeing it as legit, I should clarify. In other words, they said that they shouldn't, the lower court had said, case is settled. Somebody had sued the city of Houston over them providing same-sex. Some conservative activists, right, to, be, exactly. to be fair. Yeah, to be fair. Um, and the, the case had been thrown out. They appealed it. The Supreme Court, in fact, sided with the original litigants saying, yeah, they have to reconsider the case. So, you know, the specific issue was the extension of benefits, insurance, et cetera, by the city of Houston to its employees. Now, this case, I think there have got to be some people out there going, wait, I thought this was settled. And this case does raise a lot of issues. So let's let's start with the legal status of gay marriage itself, which is the most obvious thing to respond to here in the sense of we thought this was kind of settled already. Right. I mean, so after, you know, the, the Supreme Court decision in, I guess, 2015, which basically extended, you know, marriage rights to, to gay and lesbian couples, uh, basically that issue was over was over government benefits and it was about you know whether gay and lesbian couples were you know eligible for the same benefits as heterosexual married couples uh was basically the main push here behind that and more broadly the same legal status but benefits were the things that were really that's the thing about legal status usually that's what you're talking about is benefits yeah health insurance right the legal status provides you with the benefits i mean the key here also is i mean you were talking about houston and the texas supreme court I mean, this is also about the state of Texas broadly. I mean, the issue here was the the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court issued this, the ruling, and then pretty quickly, you know, because we're, we're here at a university, the state university said, hey, you know, if, if you've been married in another state and you're a gay couple and you want to apply for benefits, 
you can now. The city of Houston did the same thing. A lot of the cities moved ahead. There was a little bit of consternation right when that happened at some level around the state. But it was pretty much accepted that, you know, this is what this meant at the time. Right? Yeah, and in fact, the state had some federal lawsuits pending that it kind of quietly dropped in the wake of this. Right. Uh, and there were some other little outcroppings of politics that kind of spurred up around this. But for the most part, it was pretty much thought that this is this is what this meant. And so basically, you know, a couple conservative activists decide, you know, we're going to sue the city of Houston for extending benefits to gay couples. And... What originally happened was they had sort of pushed the thing along and said, you know, uh, should you know, basically they got thrown out, as you said. The Supreme Court says, you know, gets petitioned to hear this, the state Supreme Court, and they said, yeah, no, this is. They basically said, no, this is this is settled. We're we're not interested. And then there were letters at, written by the governor, the lieutenant governor, the attorney general, all Republican statewide office holders saying, you know, we really think you should reconsider your decision not to hear this case, including also a lot of conservative activists, pastors. Basically, the Supreme Court was lobbied. Right. They got pressured. And then they said, well, okay, I guess we'll hear the case. And then in the ruling they released on Friday, what they basically said was, well, you know, the Supreme Court, and this is the quote, did not hold that states must provide the same publicly funded benefits to all married persons, which was basically how the the trial court had decided to throw this out. They had read the Supreme Court decision. Yeah. Right. read the Supreme Court decision. And so they said, you know, given that we don't think this is what they said, you need to reconsider how you applied the law in this case. So, you know, that's a, I mean, look, I'm not a lawyer, as I said, I'm not right. a judge. I, you know, you just play one I play podcasts. one on podcasts, but it does seem to me that this is the sort of way of saying, look, the Supreme Court didn't say this thing really extremely explicitly. And so therefore we don't know. Right. So we're going to basically kick this back to you to try again. I mean, basically what they said was, I think the lower court had, had read it overly broadly, had right. read what the, but the Supreme Court decision seemed to be Broad in the sense of being comprehensive, as I read it, right. and I think as it's been read in many other cases. And how it was read when it was originally handed down. So, I mean, it seems like there's, I think, like probably three paths this could take at this point, right? One, you know, basically goes back down to the trial court. They look at it again and they say, yeah, no, we still think we this think is the, the same, same thing. thing. Right. And then basically can get kicked back up to the Supreme Court. They could say, yeah, okay, fine, which they could totally Thanks reverse for doing themselves. That. Yeah, no, we... we you followed our direction. Great. Right. They could take it on themselves. And now we get to the branch. They could take it on themselves and say, yeah, that seems to be right. You know, or they could take it on and say that's wrong, in which case it'll certainly be appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, which, based on the original decision, will probably actually say, no, the trial court was probably right. Yeah. You know, the trial court could take it and basically side with the conservative activists and say, I guess they don't need to extend these benefits, in which case that'll then get challenged back and the again. other side will then appeal it, and then we'll just see some variation of, yeah. the, same, of the same path. Exactly. Right. But needless to say, this is kind of a way to just keep this in the courts for a while, right. is what I mean, this you sounds know, it's, like. You know, this, this, re this leads us to another question, which is, you know, how much is this inflected by the fact that in Texas... All of these judges that made these decisions, unlike the, the the U.S. Supreme Court, where the judges are appointed, all these Texas judges are elected in elections, just like the the governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, who wrote them the letters. Meaning, they have to go through the primary process. They are all Republicans. They are all then subject to a very conservative electorate that we know is a a, a much smaller subset of the state population. 
So, you know, we're then stuck in this position where we are frequently in Texas, where we're trying to balance, you know, how much can we trust the judgments of these judges to reflect both ostensibly what we want, which is that they are elected officials that are answerable to the public, but on the other hand, have a judicial temperament, which is they are reading this case on the merits, on precedent, on all of the things that we presumably expect the justice system to work on. And it's hard not to look at this and conclude that there are some politics in play. And the timetable here, I think, matters in terms of the paths that you're talking to. There isn't one of those paths that's going to happen quickly. No. Right? It takes a long time to get things scheduled. Uh, there's a lot of discretion at the, at, the, at the court level. You know, my sense is it's July of, you know, where the, the case gets handed down technically at the very end of June 2017. There is a primary season that is, you know, unofficially started. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll have a primary probably, you know, as of the current scheduling in March of 2018. And we will have almost certainly no significant action or decisions on this when the primaries take place. Which is basically what everybody wants who's involved in this process exactly. from, from the judicial standpoint. Because the way that it plays out in the primary then is that... You know, Republican candidates can say that, in fact, they've done their part to fight something that is still, you know, not not popular among a lot of conservative Republican primary voters. And, you know, nobody can campaign against a bunch of judges saying that, you know, on the primary saying that they legalize gay marriage in Texas. Right. Even though that makes no technical sense, Mm -hmm. just to be fair. Um, And. You know, the other statewide officials and everyone else can say that they're doing their part to fight, you know, liberal, secular, you know, you know, political forces emanating from elsewhere. You know, going back a beat, I mean, it's interesting to me about this case is, you know, you sort of when you read about the judicial system and Texas politics and the elected, you know, sort of elected judges, it's always very abstract, these arguments, these pro and con arguments about, you know, you want judges who are, you know, responsive to, you know, the popular pressures and to the people, or at least you certainly don't want them totally insulated from that, right? right. On the other hand, you know, then politics can creep into decisions and people will say, well, that never happens. And it's like, well, you know, this, I mean, I think what's interesting about this, setting aside, you know, where you come down on the issue of gay marriage is just the fact that you can, you can see those tensions, right? You can see the Supreme Court originally reacting to what seemed to be a pretty clear U.S. Supreme Court decision saying, you know, this is what's going on, being pressured by sort of the most, you know, far more well-known political um, figures, figures yeah. in the state, right? Reacting to it. But then even in the way that they handled it, you know, it kind of shows the the tension, right? Because originally their their judgment said, yeah, there's nothing here, so we're just going to send this back. Then they take it, and the truth is they could have ruled that, you know, the trial court had misapplied and the Supreme Court decision did not go this far, and therefore they could have ruled that the trial court was wrong. But they didn't do that. Right. In summary, this is unusually transparent and awkward. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about the interview, but, I mean, I did, they're trying to do both here. Is the main yeah, point no, here? Right? They're right. both trying to react to the partisan pressures by sort of taking the case on and, and sort of as I said keeping it alive, 
But also they could have gone much further if they really believed that, you know, sort of the arguments that were being made by conservative right. activists and about how to interpret the Supreme Court decision was correct. They could have just said, yeah, that's the way it is for the state. There's a mix of, of politics and, and a nod towards procedural integrity here. Right. One might, you know, put diplomatically, I guess. Um, you know, I, you know, as you describe that and as we think about this, as we talk about it, I mean, it it is interesting how unusually public this is. And it's a combination of, you know, there's a certain amount of, you know, it's a little tortured. Really? Does, <laughs> the way are that you this sure? Has no, because I, I feel like we described this so well and um, so clearly. Um, well, I mean, you know, you know the, what's happened is a little tortured and it's a little public. And it's an interesting, it's interesting to think about it in, in the context of, you know, the the students in the course. And, you know, we did the interview with Wallace Jefferson, former Chief Justice Wallace mm-hmm. Jefferson. And he's been a big advocate of reforming this system of elected judges and thinking it doesn't really work. You know, he was really talking more about the campaigning and the time commitments and appearances. And, you know, this is this is kind of an outlier case in the in the extent of its publicity and the straightforwardness with which. Right. You know, now that isn't neither makes nor breaks the case. But I think it is. It's one thing to really notice about this. Right. And and and. You know, and another piece of this is that, you know, public opinion is pretty complicated on this, but shows clear partisan patterns. Right. So we've we've been polling on uh, on gay marriage here in Texas for quite a while. In fact, so long that we actually have, you know, our trend kind of got ruined. So we, we had this question for a while that basically asked people whether they think that gays and lesbians should have the right to marry, should have the right to civil unions, which you may not even know was a thing given your age. Or just basically not have a right to gay marriage or civil unions. And that was the question we had for a long time on our UT Texas Tribune polls because there was still a discussion about whether, you know, there'd be this sort of full marriage rights or this sort of subclass of like civil unions or whether everything should be civil unions and that marriage was a religious institution or whatever. Right. And what civil unions were, you know, it would basically was a, was a way of taking care of some of these benefits yeah, the issues, le- yeah, basically right. Le- the legal, legal status. It gave you a legal status that somehow enabled people to separate it, not somehow, that enabled people to separate it from the religious status accorded to marriage. Right. And eventually that, you know, sort of fell by the wayside and it was sort of marriage equality or nothing. Yeah. And we shifted sort of to basically, you know, a question more along the lines of, you know, should gay, gays and lesbians have the right to marry? Or not. Or not, basically. And so, you know, going back to 2015, you know, Texas was pretty split. It was about, you know, 43% supported gay marriage, 43% opposed it. Uh, Pretty sharp partisan differences. So 59 to 60% of Republicans were opposed to gay marriage. 65% of Democrats were supportive of gay marriage. Fast forward to basically June 2017, and the state has become you know, majority supportive of gay marriage, 55% support it, 32% oppose. But those partisan patterns still stick. So whereas Republican support has increased from about 25% to 32%, a majority of Republicans, 52%, still oppose gay marriage right. in Texas. And that's the key number. And that remember, that's among all Republicans. If we start to say, like, if we look at the most conservative corners of the Republican electorate, the sort of small groups of people who actually show up in Republican primaries, that's act- and the sort of people who actually are probably going to be aware of a gay marriage. That all this decision, is going on. Of, of a decision related to gay marriage <laughs> yeah. amongst the Supreme Court justices in Texas. You know, those, those that opposition is much higher. Democrat- and, and in terms of the mechanics of that, you know, basically 
those people that have the most the most intense opinions are going to be the people that are going to be the targets for mobilization, for mail, for all the efforts to get out the, the vote in the Republican primary. Right. Because, I mean, basically, if you think about like who shows up in the Republican primary, what you can basically say is it's the most conservative of conservative voters and the most conservative elements of the Republican Party and not totally distinct, but a, but a little bit is also sort of. Uh, religious fundamentalists, right? Uh, voters, the evangelical voters, Christians, right? Who are you know obviously very opposed to gay marriage, right? And so that's where you can kind of see the politics of this intersecting, and both the pressure that was being exerted on the governor and the lieutenant governor and the attorney general. Not that they disagree, right. but also that's where they're getting feeling the pressure right. points, and that's what they were channeling to the justices to remind them about, which the justices clearly reacted to and saying, "Well, let's you know, I guess we're going <laughs> to." They reacted to something, right? <laughs> Um, and so that's why, you know, there's no reason, like, just because the Supreme Court decided this and everyone sort of said, oh, well, this is decided now, not so fast, because in the end, elected officials, including judges, are responsive to the publics that elect them. And in Texas, the majority part, a majority of the majority party's public is still not come along in accepting that this is kind of the law of the land right. now. And so basically, we're going to talk about it a little more. Yeah. And we're going to ha- talk about it at a time that happens to be... In the run-up to the primary. Yeah, and you're going to fight the good fight. I mean, that's the other part of this, right? I mean, I'm not saying it's the good fight personally. I know what you, but, yeah, but that's the but signal that, you're sending to this constituency. You may, you may lose, and you probably are going to lose, I mean, is, is what it looks like. But the point being, I mean, now look, maybe not. I mean, part yeah. of it is you draw this out. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, dies or retires, you know. Right. Justice Breyer retires. Maybe there's a reversal on this. Yeah, it's or at least some some you know sense of ro- a little bit of rollback. I doubt there's whole reversal, but point well taken. But it's not impossible. But the point is, at the same time, this is more about you know showing that you're still fighting. It's signaling, basically. Yeah. I mean, it, it enables the elected officials involved to signal to the audience they want to signal to that they agree with them. I, mean, I think the most notable thing, you know, in, in some ways about this. And it's only come out kind of as we've been talking about. It. I think it's a point I made. So let me go back to it. Is oh, you know, the, an excellent point. I think you it was made, a good I'm point. Sure. So I don't know which one you're going to make. But it was a very good one. But I think it was that you know, if the judges really wanted to, they could have made a much more forceful show on this. The fact that they didn't kind of shows that they know that they probably would just be precipitating. You know, a they know court. what the most likely path this is going to take. Right, which is it goes to the Supreme Court. and The Supreme Court says no. Yeah, we've already. This has already been decided. Right. And that, that was a good point. That Thanks. was a good point. I, I thought that as you were saying it. Okay, um, good. You know, and so I think, you know, before we wind up, and we're going we're gonna to keep it short as a gift to people because you've got studying to do. And, and, it's, July and it's July 4th uh, week. But one thing, you know, again, if you kind of step back, you can kind of see this in the overall pattern of things that we've been talking about in terms of the sequence of where the state is and kind of the political cycle, right? So we're going into this special session in which much of the agenda of the special session is actually of a piece of the the political thinking that seems to be informing both, you know, the, the state officials' pressure on the court and the court's response to that pressure. And that is we're in the part of the cycle where the statewide elected officials are all running. There's going to be a relatively... Um, high-profile primary election. There probably won't be a ton of contests at the top level, but there's a lot of positioning going on that is very hyper-aware of what the the composition of the electorate is going to be in that election. And that's rippling through 
institutional and individual behavior. Well, and just to say, I mean, that sort of positioning and the lack of competition is endogenous. You can look it up, right? Because that big... <laughs> it's internal to the process, basically. There we go. Well, I want to look it up. But the point, that's going to be a good test question. Is there something orthogonal to that? Oh, there's definitely <laughs> things that are orthogonal to that. But anyway, as we riff on, but the point here is part of the reason that it's going to be a relatively, you know, uh, unchallenging process for the statewide officials in terms of who is going to, you know, challenge Governor Abbott or Lieutenant Governor Patrick or Paxton is all this positioning. Or any of those just, the just, those justices, any of the justices right. that are up. Right, is, is all this positioning. I mean, it's pretty clear, had the judges kind of continued and decided and with their original decision not to hear this case, the likelihood that they would have faced a primary challenge would have increased dramatically. Right. So, and with that, uh, hope you've enjoyed the class, hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Good luck uh, wrapping up the class and enjoy the rest of the summer. The Second Reading Podcast is a production of the Texas Politics Project and the Project 2021 Development Studio at the University of Texas at Austin. 